if you came hoping for a Christmas message, I'm sorry. Those of you that have been here for a while know I'm not super keen on just preaching Easter and Christmas messages on the particular public holidays. But, uh, we do our best to find the mind of God and to preach what He would have us to preach. Amen. I'm going to be ministering this morning on the subject of being covered. Being covered. Daniel's going to help me out back there. Do appreciate this young man in the projector. He's helped me every Sunday morning all year. Even when that old PC has given him some trouble, we might try and do something about that, get one that's not made out of wood, and uh, see if we can improve the technology a little bit. Amen. It's not really made out of wood in case you're wondering. It's just a little bit old. Genesis chapter 3, I want to read two verses. Verse 7, verse 21. Verse 7 says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Verse 21 of the same chapter says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're thankful for your presence here. We're thankful, Lord, for the power, the victory that is found in your name. Lord, as we open your word together, I pray that you would help our understanding, that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, that, Lord, you would help us. Lord, in the battle that we are in, I pray, Anoint this vessel, help me to bring your word as you would have me to, in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you know this passage of Scripture better than others, but for the sake of a little context, Genesis chapter 3 records the beginning of sin in the human race, the fall of mankind. Eve, the Bible tells us, is beguiled, which means she is deceived, seduced, or led astray by the serpent, and she disobeys the commandment of God. Adam follows willingly and participates in the same action. And as a result of their sin, the Bible says that now their eyes were opened. It does not mean that they could not see before, but what it's telling us is that their understanding and their interpretation and the way that their hearts and minds operated changed. They were now, the Bible tells us, aware of their nakedness, and attempted to cover themselves with aprons made of fig leaves. After a conversation with God in which he delivered consequences for their actions, the scripture says that God clothed them with animal skins. They made an effort with leaves. God used skins. And this series of events, we see at least two powerful principles. There's no doubt more, but these are the two I want us to notice this morning. The first is that man's idea of an appropriate covering is inconsistent with God's. And the second principle is that for sin to be covered, blood has to be shed. The plucking of leaves from a tree is not sufficient when we're trying to cover sin, but we need the blood of Jesus Christ. We recently completed a series on partakers of His holiness, and this message is a little bit of a kind of an afterthought, if you like, to go with that. But the central theme of those lessons was that that with the new birth experience, of Acts 2.38, of being born again of water and spirit, a new life begins in us. That new life also initiates the beginning of an ongoing transformation. We learned that this transformation affects our minds, our speech, our actions, our presentation. And that we also learned that although we do not make ourselves righteous and holy, 
to protect that new life that God has given us and to promote healthy growth and development, we separate ourselves from influences that contribute to sinfulness and carnality. Carnality simply meaning the desires and actions of man's fallen sinful nature. very simple example is it is very foolish for believers to spend time at parties, clubs, bars where sinful activities are being promoted. I'm not talking about your five-year-old niece's birthday party, but parties where there is immoral activity taking place. It's foolish for believers to surround themselves with that kind of behavior. Is it because we're holding it out? No, it's because we are separated unto God. We belong to God. Amen. If we, I was going to try and borrow somebody's baby this morning to use as an example and just because I like babies. But I'm not going to do that. But if you think about an infant, you think about one of these little ones we have in the church, everything that is necessary for complete and mature physical development already resides in the body of a baby. Think about that for a moment. With, when they, they start out on usually a simple diet of milk and progress at the right time to more solid foods when that right time is varies from generation to generation and expert to expert and culture to culture but there is a process that takes place the baby cannot walk it cannot talk but it is incredible to realize that as long as that child is fed and kept in a reasonably safe environment within that little body are the components for growth and development to generate as it eats and it grows, the, the body, you don't watch it happen in the day, but, you know, if you've got little kids, you can see a big difference in six months. Maybe not overnight, but over a period of time. You can, but nobody has added to that other than to feed them and to nourish them. That body has, has developed in the fashion that God designed it to. Amen. And so with the right food and a healthy environment, that body generates its own development. I know that's a little bit simple for those of you that are scientific. I'm not trying to give a science lesson. But as parents, we may go out from time to time and buy bigger clothes, bigger shoes. But you don't go out every birthday and buy your children a longer set of legs and a longer set of arms because the old ones are too small. The body produces those as it grows. Amen. It's, it's, it's quite miraculous, really, when you think about it. And in the right conditions... That little body has everything it needs to reach physical maturity. Let me speak for a moment, if I can, to those of you who are at the early stages of your walk with God. Right now, when you look around at other people in this church that have been here longer than you, you may feel like you cannot walk or talk yet. But if you've been baptized in Jesus' name, and you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, everything that you need, to become mature, to be victorious, to be ready when Jesus come is in you. As long as you continue to eat well, Word of God, be in a healthy environment, God has put everything you need in you by His Word and His Spirit that you will develop, not by adding things from the outside, but from the transformation that happens on the inside. We have that promise in Philippians 1 and 6 where it says, being confident having an assurance of this very thing, that He which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So if you are a new believer, and I thank God for those folk that have been baptized recently, filled with the Holy Ghost, God has everything you need. 
The devil will tell you you cannot. God says you can't. Amen. Just like that infant, God, day by day, step by step, amen, God will make you the man or woman of God that he has designed you to be. Amen. And we take great care to protect a baby if we're sensible. We try to remove potential harm. We try to put dangerous objects out of their reach, dangerous substances. You might have things you clean your house with that are in cupboards. You don't want little kids getting in amongst that. We put the sharp knives away. We try to keep hot things away from our children. We, we don't let them play with PowerPoints. There are all these things we do. Why? Because the little baby is vulnerable. They're vulnerable. And even though as an adult we have a stronger and more resilient frame, these bodies are still vulnerable. They're still vulnerable to outside influences. That's why, to give you some examples, when we go out in the sun, if we're wise, we cover up. We understand the risk that comes with too much exposure to the sun. People in all manner of professions wear all different kinds of protective clothing. People who work in hospitals, we're trying to prevent infection, trying to keep things sterile. The people that work with chemicals, like Brother David works with chemicals, you've got to take steps to protect yourself. We, we look on the news at the moment. Our country is being savaged by terrible bushfires, and there are men and women who are giving themselves to fight those fires. They're wearing protective clothing. They're wearing the, I don't know what the firemen call their suits, but they're, they're designed to protect them as they fight the battle with the fire. Police in certain circumstances wear bulletproof vests. Soldiers wear helmets and body armor and other things. And even in sport, people that play cricket or baseball or some of these other sports, they wear helmets. Why? Because their head is vulnerable. We are vulnerable. Amen. And after a certain amount of exposure, those protective components need to be replaced and renewed. You know, the fireman doesn't wear the same fire suit that he got the first day he started the job 10 years later. Amen. They say in cricket, when someone's hitting the head or hitting the helmet, rather, with the ball, they replace the helmet because the integrity of the helmet's been compromised. And regardless this morning of whether you are a brand new Christian, or a seasoned, mature child of God, you have vulnerabilities that need to be protected, that need to be covered. And if they're not, it can be a matter of life and death spiritually. And just like our example from Adam and Eve, we need to be covered in a fashion that is directed and governed by God and by His Word. When we only do things and separate ourselves with our own natural thinking, what we become is religious. But when we're separated and consecrated as governed by the Word of God out of love for God, we become spiritual people, powerful people that can overcome the enemy. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6. Many of you know this passage well. We're going to start in verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, 
your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, you know it's often described as the armor of God. We also seem to conclude that when Paul wrote this epistle, he had an image of a Roman soldier in his mind as when he referred to various components of the armor. But I want us to take just a little time to consider this passage together because it speaks to us about a battle. It speaks to us about combat. It speaks to us about being ready to stand against some things. It starts with the word finally. Verse 10 begins with the word finally. Now, if you know the, the, the epistle, Paul is obviously drawing it to a close. So the word finally has some place as part of his concluding remarks, but also he's saying that what I'm about to say now, what I'm about to write to you, what I'm about to teach you is given to you to protect the rest of what was contained in this epistle. If you read the book of Ephesians, you'll see the first chapter talks to us about being sealed with the spirit of promise and being seated with him in heavenly places. And in the chapter 2, talks about being saved by grace, not by works, and how we were once separated, but he's made us one and that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Chapter 3 talks about how he wants us to be filled with all his fullness that we might understand that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Chapter 4 lets us know that we are in a body, that every joint in that body supplies something. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're supplying something this morning. My goodness, that was enthusiastic. It talks to us about how every joint supplies its purpose in the body. It's compacted together as God designs. He is the head. He gives us ministry gifts to develop and help that body mature. Chapter 5 goes into talking to us about how that Christ loves the church and how he wants to present it to him as a spotless bride and that husbands should love their wives, wives should submit to their husbands, children should obey their parents and honor them. All of this he's saying, finally, all of this is to be protected. All of this is to be defended. Because if you think about just a few of those things I listed, when you go out there, it is the opposite. In this world, it is the opposite. The family is torn apart. Respect for authority is gone. It's every man for himself. There are no absolute rights and wrongs. Everything that God says is true, the world says is false. So when Paul says, finally, my brethren, he's not just saying this is the end of my letter. He's saying, you've got to protect this stuff. You've got to defend this stuff. You've got to fight for it. He said, firstly, strength and power are from the Lord. Verse 10 says to be strong in the Lord and that the power comes from His might. He gives us strength, and He gives us power through His Word and through His Spirit. The power is within us. That's why John said that greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world in 1 John 4 and 4. And then after telling us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, Paul then instructs us to put on armor to put on armor. So while we may have power and strength within us, there is still a need for protection, for covering, 
power and strength within is not enough. It has to be protected. It has to be given its opportunity to do what God has designed it to do. What is the purpose of the armor of God? That we may be able to stand against or in opposition to what the King James calls the wiles of the devil, the devil's schemes, his strategies, his deception. The question is, what is the devil's goal? What is his purpose? Everything that's opposite to God. He's not just a near option to God. He is the opposite of God. Where God wants peace, He wants chaos. Where God wants wholeness, He wants brokenness. Where God wants us to be well, He wants us to be sick. Where God wants us to have healthy families, He wants to tear our families apart. Where God wants us to be victorious, He wants us to be defeated. Everything the devil wants is the opposite of God. Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands for a moment. Let's just worship the Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We worship you. The devil's purpose and God's purpose are not two similar options. They are opposites. His schemes and his strategies are designed to get you to think, speak, act, and feel in a manner that is contrary to God. In other words, he opposes everything that is holy and godly. So God declares that we have new life and that he desires to transform us in one direction. The devil is trying to influence us in the other direction. And Scripture tells us that you cannot serve two masters. It's not possible. And the right armor will protect us from the devil's influence. Amen. We're going to take this a step at a time. Verse 12, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For we wrestle not, everybody say we wrestle not, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul tells us in this verse that the battle the war, the conflict that this armor is designed to protect us in is not with other people, but with spiritual wickedness, directly or indirectly the work of the devil. Too many believers know this verse and are still in combat with flesh and blood. I'm going to say that again. Too many believers know this verse and can quote it, and yet they still are in combat with flesh and blood. Too many times we focus the fight on our brothers and sisters, our families, our workmates, our boss, our parents, our children, and even our pastor. The devil is referred to in the book of Revelation as the accuser of the brethren. And it says that he accuses them before God day and night. Do you not think, does it not make sense that he would accuse your brethren before you as well? Do you not think that he would try to cause you to judge and condemn? That's what he wants God to do. Amen. When your mind seems to lock onto how somebody has failed you in some way, 
or hurt you or disappointed you or things haven't been done the way you think they should be done and you cannot shake those thoughts. Anybody been there? I'll be honest. (laughs) When you don't seem to be able to shake those thoughts, who do you think the prosecutor is? Who do you think the accuser is that is not allowing you to get that out of your mind? Or at least he can't stop us from getting it out, but he wants us to think we can't. The armor of God is not provided for you to resist other people. The armor is provided for you to stand against the enemy to protect your righteousness and holiness. We are to deal with other people, the easy ones and the hard ones, from the platform of holiness, righteousness, and forgiveness. The armor is for the enemy. Holiness demonstrated is for others. And too many times we switch them around. When we get that backwards and we go into battle against other people, we expose our holiness and our righteousness to the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The biblical principle is to love others and stand against the devil. Too many believers are standing against others and exposing weakness and allowing access to the devil. Sorry, this is not very Christmassy. Ephesians 6 and 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. First point we need to take out of that is we need the whole armor, not just the bits that we like. Why do we need it? Because that when the evil day, or when the day of opposition comes, and they're days, that's plural, it's never just one. I wish it was just one. But when the day of opposition comes, one of the modern translations says that you will still be standing at the end of the battle. That whatever comes, that when it's all said and done, and they declare the battle is over, that you'll still be standing. That's why you need the whole armor of God, to be there at the end. And when our armor is incomplete or compromised, we are vulnerable to attack. And when you are attacked without protection, the wounds that you receive will cause you to struggle and even to sin. Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? I'm glad this morning that the Scripture lets us know that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the Bible tells us, who is faithful and just to forgive us. But here's the thing that the Lord really laid on my heart this week. The problem is, that even when we are forgiven and restored, if the place of vulnerability is not protected, we get attacked there again very, very quickly. Too many saints spend too much time in recovery and not enough time in victory. Because we are vulnerable, God forgives, God heals, God restores, and we head out to fight wearing half a suit of armor, and bang, we get hit again. We're back in the same problem all over, and God forgives, and God restores, and we go out, and bang. Because your armor's incomplete. You're exposed. And some of us spend far too much time in recovery, not enough time in victory. I'm not. We, we all spend time in recovery, don't misunderstand me. Just because I stand up here on a Sunday morning preach the word doesn't mean that sometimes during the week I'm trying to claw myself out of a hole. But I know He's faithful. Amen. If we will trust in Him.
bless the Lord. You see, Paul had to learn. Possibly we might even read between the lines and say the hard way that our own strength is not going to cut it. That's why when he went to the Lord and he said, you've got to take this thorn out of my flesh. It's killing me. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for the 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul said some really weird words. He said, most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities. What he was saying was, I'm not going to pretend I'm not weak. I'm going to put my hand up and say, God, I'm weak. Cover me with your strength. Cover me with something that will protect me that I might have your strength. He said, I'm going to glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because if I walk in my own strength, in my own flesh, I'm going to take a hit every single time. But if I put my hand up and say, God, I cannot do this by myself. Let your power rest on me. The next time the devil comes, it's not so easy. Whose armor is it that we're supposed to be putting on? It's the whole armor of who? It's the armor of God. And what is it for? It's to protect me. It's to protect you. Verse 14, Ephesians chapter 6. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. The word girt is an old-fashioned word. It talks about a girdle or a belt goes around the midriff and holds everything together and things can be attached to it. Your loins speaks of reproductive power. And truth is not simply knowing who Jesus is. I'm glad for the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. I'm glad that I know that there is but one God. But my Bible lets me know the devil knows that. It's more than just the knowledge of who Jesus is or the message of the new birth. Truth includes knowing and doing what is right in the sight of God. The things that we give life to, the things that we reproduce in our lives need to be right in the sight of God. And this is very closely related to the breastplate of righteousness because a breastplate protects your vital organs. All of those, your heart, your lungs, all those other bits and pieces you've got floating around in there. If the breastplate is absent or it's compromised, your life is under threat spiritually. Your heart is vulnerable. And you see, when we are born again, we, we covered this in our lessons, but when we are born again, Jesus imputes or he puts his righteousness in our account. We don't make ourselves righteousness, but he makes us righteous. But then he has also given us a responsibility to live a life to protect what he has put in our hearts. Not to just go, well, my righteousness comes from God, I'll live however I want. That's not right. Combined with our knowledge of truth, we endeavor to live a righteous life to protect that which God has put within us. If I allow sin into my heart, I compromise the righteousness that Jesus has given to me. And my spiritual life is in danger. And when a born-again Christian willingly exposes their heart to wickedness, they become extremely vulnerable that's why we need to take great care proverbs 4 and 23 says keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life you've got to have righteousness when you do the things that god wants you to do when you don't allow sin in your life you put a barrier over your heart 
you put a piece of armor there that your heart is kept the way that God wants it to be. Amen. And just like I mentioned earlier, we've got to renew these things again and again and again. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15 says, Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This verse speaks to us of several things. The first is of standing on a firm foundation, that soldiers need to be stable. Ephesians 2 and 20 says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You need to have a firm foundation. Amen. It also speaks of being at peace with God through the gospel. To know that you are right with God changes how you approach the battle. If you have peace with God, it gives you a confidence in the conflict. When you don't, you're worried about, oh, I'm not sure if I'm right with God. I'm not sure. If you, you're double-minded. You need to have peace that passes understanding that comes from God so that you know that He is with you. It also speaks to us of a readiness to go and share the gospel as directed by the Lord. Isaiah 52 and 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him that brings good tidings or that brings the good news. Amen. Verse 16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Again, with the Roman soldier in view, Paul uses the example of how that in that time, in many battles in that sort of part of history, they would, they would find a way to set fire to the end of their arrows and shoot them, not just to wound, but to set fire to both people and to property. Amen. The Roman soldier used a shield that was specially treated to extinguish the fiery darts or arrows. They would, if it was metal, they wouldn't catch fire, but often they were covered with a leather skin on the outside of their shield, and that, that skin would be soaked in water or, or covered with something so that they would not catch a light, that the fiery darts, the fiery arrows would be extinguished. It is the shield of faith. Faith operates out of love for God, out of love for His body, and out of an uncompromising trust in His promises. And faith is not always easy. Anybody who tells you otherwise has a funny idea of what faith is. As Paul said in 1 Timothy 6 and 12, he said, Fight the good fight of faith. It's a battle. He said, Lay hold on eternal life. Hang on to it like your life depends upon it. Whereunto you are also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. He said, as you've encouraged others to trust God, you've got to do it as well. You've professed it, now you've got to do it. You know, I think, when I think of the fiery darts, I think of how when something offends us or angers us, how it gets down into our spirit, almost like it burns. It just seems to burn inside of us and we can't seem to, to shake it. And when it's unresolved, we, in our flesh, because we feel justified, we feed that flame. We think about that circumstance or that situation or even that person and it burns. Faith will put that out. Faith says, I'm going to trust God. Faith says, I'm going to release the hurt. Faith says, I'm going to forgive Faith says, I'm going to trust God to bring me through as pure gold. Faith says, I'm not going to be overwhelmed, but I'm going to overcome. That's what faith... It doesn't say the darts aren't coming. It says, I'm going to trust God 
regardless of the fiery darts. You think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the book of Daniel that so many of you know of how they were commanded to bow down and worship an idol and they refused. And these three young men were brought in before the king. And here was the king's challenge. He said, which God do you think you have that can protect you from me? You see, when he made that statement, he sealed his own fate. He didn't challenge them. He challenged their God. And the Lord basically maybe slightly more contemporary modern vernacular the Lord said bring it and they were thrown into the fiery furnace the Bible says that their bonds were consumed but when they came out there wasn't even the smell of smoke in their clothing there are two things I've learned and the scripture promises us that whatever you go through God will either bring you out or he will bring you through but he will never abandon you if you trust him he's talking to talking to mum while we were driving to church this morning and Brother Glass used to talk to me about how when things were getting on top of him and he was worried about situations in the church and people maybe not doing the right stuff and concerned for their souls, he used to come down here to pray and he said, God didn't always give me the answer but I always felt better when I'd been with him. And I've learned that's a good practice. Even if he doesn't give you the answer, spend some time with him. He's going to bring you through. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Chapter 6, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's a helmet. It's fairly obvious what it's protecting, what's going on in your mind this morning. What are you entertaining? You cannot control every thought that passes through your mind. If you can, let me know, because I sure can't. But you can control which ones you invite to sit down and have a cup of coffee and which ones you say on your way. We have to control what's going on in our minds. If you were here for our video last weekend, you may remember in the, I think it was called Tips for Christian Living segment or something, Sister Mandy quoted this scripture in Philippians 4, 7 and 8, and the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on those things. Get that helmet on your head and guard what's going into your mind. Problem with having people say, well, I want to have an open mind. The problem with an open mind is things fall out and everything can run through it. You need to guard what's going on in your head. In the natural battle, if somebody sustains a head wound, they may recover but never be the same again. If wrong thinking gets a hold of us spiritually, it can be very hard to straighten that out. Guard your hearts, guard your minds. First Thessalonians tells us that the helmet is the hope of salvation. That's where you've got to keep your mind. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Doesn't matter what's happening today, Jesus is coming back. It's an old song that says, I've got my foot on the rock and my mind's made up. Amen. We've got to have our minds made up. I'm living and thinking with the hope of salvation. When you keep that in the forefront of your mind, things that happen at the lower level, you can get over those because you're looking. Whatever happened today is not worth missing out on that hope. You see, the, the last piece in the armor is the sword of the Spirit. It's the weapon. It's the only part that's offensive. It's why we teach it. 
That's why we urge you to study it. That's why we want you to know it and to love it. That's why we're doing Bible class and we're teaching the Word. It's not so that we can make ourselves all smart. It's because it is the sword of the Spirit. You are not smart enough to outwit the devil. I'm sorry. I don't care how intelligent, how academic, how brilliant you might be. You are not smart enough on your own to outwit the devil. But the Word of God is. The Word of God is because he cannot stand against its power and its authority. And there's one of David's mighty men. You read it in the Old Testament. I'm going to go there for the sake of time. But there's one of his warriors that the Bible says fought for so long that his hand clave to the sword. He couldn't let go of the sword. God help us to be people of the Word that whatever's going on in our lives, we cannot let go of the promises that are found in the Word of God. That it, it, when we go into battle, it's just there. You know, if the battle starts and you have to find your sword, you're in trouble. Listen to the Word of God. I'm not just talking about when it's preached. I'm talking about when you read it, when you meditate, when you study. Listen to the Word of God. There are more resources for studying this book now than there ever have been. What that means is that we have no excuse. The issue is priority and hunger. Love the Word of God. Be in the Word of God. Listen to it. Do not listen to the accuser. And when Adam and Eve, going back to sort of where we started, when Adam and Eve listened to the wrong voice, it caused them to hide from the right voice. When they listened to the enemy, it led to hiding from the voice of God that came to fellowship with them. As your pastor, God expects me to do my very best to speak what He gives me to speak. And when people are hungry to do what God wants and their spirit is right, that bit's reflected in both their attitude to the Word of God and to the messenger. It fascinates me to see the various reactions that come to the preaching of God's Word. Just like Adam and Eve, when people are listening to the wrong voice, they'll hide themselves from the right voice. Because when God came looking for them, He said, Where are you? And they said, We heard your voice, and we were afraid because we were naked. So we hid. What was God's first response? Who told you that you were naked? Who have you been listening to? There's a powerful principle there. The wrong voice will cause you to hide from the right one. When you listen, and here's the other principle, when you listen to the wrong voice, it comes out of your mouth. We were naked. Who told you that? Where'd you get that from? Amen. God is providing protection for us so that when the battle's over, we'll still be standing. I don't know about you, I want to still be there at the end. My mother took me to an apostolic church about 40 years ago, and if I lose it now, that 40 years is a complete waste. <laughs> no matter what he's brought me through, what he's kept me through, what he's helped me overcome, how many times I fell down and he picked me up again, if I'm not still there, when the trumpet sounds to declare the battle is finished and the dust settles, I'm a footnote in history. If I'm still there at the end, if you're still there at the end, we'll be there on the other side. And for eternity, we'll share war stories. 
Do you remember when he brought you through? Do you remember when it seemed hopeless? Do you remember when you were going down for the last time and God reached down, lifted you up out of that situation? Hallelujah. James chapter 4, and I'm coming towards a close. James 4, 6 and 7. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's an interesting that in Ephesians, we're supposed to be resisting the devil. But if we're proud, God's resisting us. Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When I am proud and unsubmitted to God, and I've certainly been there more than once, my resistance to the devil is pathetic. When I disconnect myself from the power and strength of God, and I'm in rebellion to what God wants in my life, my ability to stand against the enemy is embarrassingly bad. When you do not submit yourself to God and His ways of doing things, you uncover yourself. And if I'm not submitted to God, it's a product of my pride and God is resisting me. I don't know about you, but you're trying to resist the devil or God is resisting you. I don't think that's going to go very well. But if I submit myself, if we submit ourselves to God, we cover ourselves with His power and His authority so that when the enemy comes against us, we're wearing armor that can withstand him and cause him to flee. But in my own strength, I'm hopeless. God provides cover and protection for us in every area of our lives. The Bible says that children are covered by their parents. That's why the Lord said, children, obey your parents, honor your mother and father. If they do that, they're under the covering of their parents. Wives are under the covering of their husbands. Husbands, as they lead their families, need to very much be under the cover of the Lord and the leadership that God places in their lives. Cover is provided at every angle, but it is chosen personally. No cover is forced from God. Every one of us says, I want to be under that. I want that protection. I want to be under that. Amen. And when we submit ourselves to God in all of those areas that He provides for us, our resistance to the enemy becomes powerful. Because it's not me and myself and I, it's me and the power and the might and the covering that God has placed in my life. Hallelujah. I want to, in closing, I want to talk about one last covering. And if you've been here for very long, this is something I mention from time to time. And I'm thinking this is going to be fairly central to next year. One last covering, thankfulness. Anybody ever heard me mention that word before? Once or twice? It's not just good manners. We teach our kids, make sure you say thank you. If your grandparents send them a present and make sure you ring grandma up and say thank you. And that's good. We should teach our kids. But when the Bible talks about thankfulness, it's not God teaching us good table manners. And when, if you go home, if you've got computer software, Bible software, go home and look up words like thankful, uh, thanksgiving, uh, thanks. Look up any versions of that you can. And look how many times it appears through the Scripture. And then look at how it is directly connected to prayer, to provision, and to protection. 
And he's there. It's not just a nice little footnote. So we say thank you and people think we have nice manners. When you wrap your spirit in thanksgiving, you protect your heart. You protect your spirit because, as I've said so many times and we'll say again, it's really hard to have a bad attitude when you're grateful. It's really hard to be complaining and griping and thankful at the same time. You've got to have some sort of spiritual personality disorder. Because if I'm genuinely thankful for the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God, it's really hard to be miserable at the same time. When you're thankful, it is a part of your holiness, your consecration, your armor, your protection. And you, the devil comes around and you're like, he's throwing fiery darts. You say, I thank you, Jesus. You've been so good to me. I know you're going to bring me through this trial, this heartache, this offense, this wound, whatever it is. The devil hates it because you're worshiping him when it doesn't make sense. Let me show you one verse of Scripture in closing to show you how important thankfulness is. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. This passage of Romans is horrible. It talks to us about the downward spiral of wicked sinful humanity and how far they go and how twisted and perverted it gets. But it starts in verse 21 when it says, because that when they knew God, so they knew who God was, they chose not to glorify Him, And what does it say? Neither were thankful. I wonder how that process might read differently if they were thankful, if they'd glorify Him as God. It wouldn't have gone down and down and down and down the way that it did. But when we're not thankful, we open ourselves up to all kinds of junk. It's not just good manners, saints. It's a barrier between a bad spirit and your heart. Let's stand together this morning. Oh, hallelujah. Cass, if I could have you on the piano, please. As I said, during the worship service, I felt opposition to this message all week because the devil knows a church that's holy and righteous and wearing armor terrifies him. He will not overcome. We will not be overwhelmed. We will be victorious. Now, here's, here's the. let me be very honest with you. I don't want this to be negative. You'll spend time adding armor and strengthening armor for the rest of your walk with God. Because you're human, you're always going to have some vulnerabilities. But when I go back to Him, and He forgives me and cleans me up again, get up and say, God, help me to take on the breastplate of righteousness. Help me to be wrapped around with truth. Put the hope of salvation in my mind. Give me a shield that every time the accuser comes, those darts just fizzle out and drop to the ground. Let my feet stand upon a rock that I'm not shaken, that I'm not easily moved and pushed to the left and to the right, that my hope is in the return of Jesus Christ. We're all going to spend some time in recovery. That's where we learn the promises about He restores my soul and He's my refuge and He's my hiding place. But if we're spending more time there than victory, we need to have a look at our armor this morning. As Cass leads us in a chorus this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to say, Lord, could you look at my armor again, please?
Help me to take up the pieces I need to protect my heart, protect my mind. Help me to fight with the word, not with carnality. Help me to recognize again that I wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with spiritual wickedness in high places. These altars are open if anybody wants to come. Thank you, Jesus.